It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 107. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. How's your week been, Gary? Oh, it's uh, been pretty decent. Still hot here and uh, so staying indoors and trying to get work done. We finally got some warm weather here. We've actually gotten some, some 80 degree temperatures uh, and we're kind of enjoying the sunshine. I mean, it's one of those things I was mentioning to my wife just yesterday, actually, that, you know, we're, we're out there saying, damn, it's hot. And of course, a month ago, we were saying, damn, it's wet. And the month before that, we we're saying, damn, it's cold. I mean, we just, you know, you can't please us is what it boils down to, especially around here. But um, we have all the weathers and the weathers <laughs> we have right now is the warm, sunny kind. So we should accept it, enjoy it, go bask in it. Yep. So you seem to be frustrated about something. What are well, you frustrated about? Yeah. Gary? So, okay. <laughs> this is a, a Mac, an Apple uh, thing. It's a actually iOS thing. Uh, there's a new feature, a security slash privacy feature in iOS 14 uh, that is getting a lot of people talking about, about things, uh, not in a good way. Um, good for Apple, but uh, not maybe good for some to, other things. Uh, okay, so here's the deal. This is a privacy feature that notifies you whenever an app you're using looks at the clipboard. Clipboard is, you know, when you copy and paste, sure. that's yep. the clipboard. Yep. Uh, and generally, a lot of times when you want to copy and paste, the whole idea is to copy from one app to another, you know, copy something from an email message, paste it into a word processing document, that kind of thing. Well, a, a new privacy feature, and I think it's generally a good thing, is that if an app looks at the clipboard, um, it, uh, it t gives you a little quick message at the top saying it did. Um, I don't think it does this if you copied from that app. So in other words... Um, oh, so if, it, if you're copy-pasting within the same app, you may not get a notification? Right. It, it looks... It, it's saving not only what is copied, like a piece of text, but also where it came from. Sure. So then it notices if like it looks at the clipboard and the clipboard didn't come from that app. It gives you a little thing saying this app looked at the clipboard from your notes or email or whatever. Um, and it's, you know, privacy and people are like, okay, good. Uh, so iOS 14, of course, is in beta now. It's in its second developer beta. And um, people uh, immediately, as soon as the beta was out, the beta testers, mostly developers, they should be developers, because uh, it's just a developer beta at this point, not a public one, um, started saying, hey, look at all of these apps that everybody uses every day that suddenly seem to be looking at the clipboard. Um, and tons of regular, normal apps like LinkedIn and Reddit apps and all sorts of things. Uh, and... Um, some social media apps and everything too. And, you know, and people got upset because immediately you can, if you like, jump to the conclusion that they're looking at your clipboard and doing something nefarious with it. Is this the feature that um, got TikTok all the negative? Uh, yes, TikTok exposure? was one of them, yeah. Yep. So, you know, you could say, well, okay, oh, they're looking at my clipboard. That's, you know, they're doing something bad. As a developer, somebody that's been developing long, way longer than since iOS has existed, uh, I can tell you that's just not the case. Um, I mean, it could be, it has the potential to be, but software is not built from scratch. It's built with building blocks, libraries of code. You don't build uh, software from scratch any more than the, whoever builds your house 
would actually create each pane of glass or you know, cut down each tree and develop each piece of lumber to go into your house or anything like that. It all comes from building blocks. Uh, and then you as the software developer put it together. And these building blocks are often multi-purpose and do lots of things. Um, and they, and in general, a building block that has lots of capabilities is a good thing because, you know, instead of saying this does, a, you know, this brick can only be used in north facing walls in the exterior of your house on the first floor, you have a general purpose brick that could be used throughout your house. And, you know, and in any wall. I should have gotten those general purpose bricks, man. I've, yeah. I've stuck with a bunch. Exactly. So you get, so a building block in code may do lots of things. And what's happening, it's plain uh, to any software developer, uh, is that the developers like TikTok and LinkedIn and Reddit and everything are using a building block somewhere that one of the things it does is it knows what's in the clipboard. Maybe there's part of this building block, something you can do is ask for what's in the clipboard, but it doesn't mean you have to. You know, it just means it's ready for that function if you should need it. So um, this was not a problem for anybody for years and years and years, uh, and probably lots of developers, uh, most of them, maybe all of them, built these building blocks into these apps. Um, and now suddenly with iOS 14, it gives you a message saying, hey, the, your LinkedIn app just looked at the clipboard. And people are saying, whoa, what's LinkedIn doing with my clipboard? Well, LinkedIn's probably not doing anything with their clipboard. You know, it's just, you, ha you know, the building block has that function in it. So, um, you know, everybody can go and point their fingers at LinkedIn and uh, TikTok and Reddit and say, you guys need to update your apps. And they're all saying, yes, we're going to update our apps. And we're going to find that building block and remove it and, uh, you know, or uh, make our own block or whatever, and then it won't say that anymore. Um, but I don't think any of these apps, even TikTok, which I'm usually pretty suspicious of, um, I don't think any of these apps are doing anything with your clipboard contents. Um, and indeed, I think some researchers were looking to see if they actually did anything with them and they weren't. Um, so why is this frustrating for me? Well, I've got apps. <laughs> and today <laughs> I finally got uh, an email from somebody about this. So my apps are games, like the app uh, reported today was is a solitaire game. You play card solitaire on your iPhone. And I have a bunch of features and cool rule sets and all sorts of things that you can do. But I certainly don't care or look at what's in your iPhone's clipboard. However, some building block I'm using does. As a matter of fact, I'm not. I'm doing more than using building blocks. I have the whole prefab house <laughs> um, because I built these on top of Adobe Air. Oh uh, yeah, of course, it, of course. Yeah. yeah, and so Adobe Air is a massive. It's like basically a prefab house, and now you can go in and design the kitchen and the right. you know uh, things about the house. Uh, so it's a massive, big building block, and somewhere in there, um, it's looking at the clipboard, which may be useful for some people. Say if you're doing a word processor and you need to be able to people expect to be able to paste into it or whatever. Um, but I certainly don't use it. It's just part of the building blocks. Well, the problem is now I've got to update that app. As a matter of fact, since I use the same prefab house for all my games, um, I'm going to have to go in and modify all of these games, which is you know great when you ask a developer like TikTok or LinkedIn or Reddit 
uh, with a team of developers. Hey, this is something we need to work on. We're planning 15 different revisions between now and the release of iOS 14 anyway. So just make sure it's in the next one. Um, but for a developer like me, where I'm one person and I have like 20 different apps, you know, I have like five different versions of Solitaire. I've got, uh, you know, Mahjong game. I've got a jigsaw puzzle game, all this stuff. Some of which I haven't updated in years because they're games. They don't, I don't add new features. There's, there haven't been any new developments in the world of Mahjong Solitaire, you know, that I need to like, oh, I need to update my app to bring it up to date for 2020. You know, it's the same game. So I have to go in and update these games now to get rid of this little alert, uh, which is really annoying because it's going to take me a while. And, and the prefab house I use, this Adobe Air, that's been updated several times since the last time I worked with it. So that means that you know, I have to get back into it. The, I already worked on it some today and the stuff that I have, my code doesn't even work with the current version of Adobe Air. I have to update it, <laughs> you know, to bring it up to date with that li those the library of code. Has has Air been updated to no longer pull the clipboard? Uh, well, that is another question that I have not answered yet because okay. that is many steps down the road. <laughs> I have to update all my code, use the latest version of Air, get a beta of iOS fourteen, get all my ducks in a row, a beta of Xcode and everything, all a million steps really before I finally can test out and find out if Adobe Air doesn't produce this message anymore. And if it does, then I just basically have to stop and sit tight until they update it and, you know, and fix this problem, um, which hopefully would be before iOS 14 comes out. Well, they haven't made any comment in like release notes or whatever. I haven't heard anything, no. Okay. Yep. Uh, but you know, it might be something hard to find. It's, it's definitely the, the developer community for this is pretty small at this point. So I wouldn't, you know, expect it to be something I find on Slashdot, for instance, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, so it's just a lot of work. And it's, you know, to basically give the same exact apps, the same exact games that people have right now, no new features for them, nothing, you know, fun and new for them to see, um, just more work for me to do. And I could just ignore it and then just, you know, create a fact page for my games and say, I honestly, I don't, I don't do anything with the clipboard. Um, trust me. Yeah, trust me. And, you know, and I may have to, it, the problem is I've got games of varying thing. I've got probably about five games that actually do really well still. And even though I haven't updated them in years and I probably have like 15 games that don't. And some of the ones at the bottom there are getting like three downloads a month and are simply just going to, I'm just going to kill them off, which, which is a shame because I have killed off several games in the last couple of years as they've gotten old. And, it, you know, I usually do get somebody then shortly afterwards saying, oh, I loved your game, something, whatever it is. And I just got a new iPad and I can't find it. I'm like, well, sorry. I mean, I can't spend, you know, days of development work to update it for just you. Yeah. Um, so it, it's frustrating. And, you know, a better, uh, it would have been nice. Well, it would have been nice if this building block, you know, whatever it is that I'm using that is looking at the clipboard just didn't in the first place, but it was probably with the best of intentions. Well, so that, that's what's got me puzzled because yeah. um, as, again, like you, uh, I've written a ton of software over the years. Yeah. And the concept of even looking at the clipboard 
for any reason seems like it would be as a library, you know, which is what we're talking about, one of these building blocks. I don't see why it would choose to look at the clipboard unless there were a reason. Well, it could be a fact of a building block of building blocks. <laughs> so, you know, maybe Adobe Air, for instance, doesn't, wouldn't do that if they were building it from scratch, but they're not. They're taking, you know, oh, we want to add, you know, there's commands in here to be able to copy and paste. Okay, how are we going to do that? Well, we're not going to reinvent that wheel. We're going to go and grab this library of clipboard stuff. Sure. And this library clipboard stuff down, you know, another level, maybe that even has blocks in it. And one of those blocks just simply preloads the clipboard for rapid access. And right. that's never been a problem until now. I, I get it. I mean, and you're right. That's probably exactly what's going on. It seems like a really, really bad design. And I say that not just because of this, this so-called privacy issue that's happening right now, but it's a performance issue. You're doing work that doesn't have to be done, right? You don't need to look sure. at the clipboard until the application wants to look at the clipboard. Um, and oh, if the application but, but never, never wants to look at it, then, you know, yes, maybe that, that request needs to filter its way through, you know, half a dozen layers of building blocks back down to the foundation, I guess. But the point is that, that just seems like energy wasted. To, to well, be what just... if it isn't even, I mean, it, for all we know, there are two different things going on here. There's like checking to see if there is a clipboard and actually going through the contents of it. And now a lot of oh, I'm apps- sure there are. Yeah, and a lot of apps have buttons, like a paste button. And the paste button will be grayed out if there's no clipboard, you know, nothing in there. And it would be active if there's something to paste. So the idea might be that it's simply maybe a check on the clipboard to see whether or not there's something in there and that, and so there's no performance hit. I mean, we don't even really know how far back, you know, what it goes sure. to, sure. to uh, I mean, the person who made that building block could have been make, making it for apps, uh, you know, you know, apps a long time ago sure. that would always, always uh, use the clipboard. There'd be no reason to, try to improve performance by sometimes not checking the this clipboard. building block you know, and was then specifically got, designed for apps that use clipboards yes i get i, I understand they, yeah they and, and made some assumptions in, that are no yeah. longer available exactly uh, so the, anyway that's my frustration the right other now. piece that i'm a little surprised about is that yeah. uh, i mean this is really this honestly isn't news i've heard this i think uh, as of a couple of weeks ago when the when the yeah, issue, yeah the TikTok it was when ios came 14 out. came out yeah um and that is that uh, if in fact there's a common building block being used by multiple apps, or even if there are multiple different building blocks, but they're being used by multiple different sets of apps, right? So building block A is being used by these apps and building block B is mm. from a different place is being used by these other apps. I haven't heard any of the building blocks identified yet. And that's kind of surprising because I would expect, especially in the developer community that you're probably sitting in as you're, as you're trying to deal with these issues, that they're saying, oh yeah, you know what? Version X of this Y library has this problem. Yeah. This, is where, this, is what, this is where it's coming from. And I haven't heard that yet, which is Well, that might, be, that might be deep down. I mean, if I looked in the Xcode, you know, communities of people developing with stuff, uh, maybe they are talking about that in the air community. Um, there's not much going on, right. not much chatter. Um, so I don't, 
I, I don't know. I, if, if this isn't fixed in Adobe Air, I, I'm probably going to be, be the one to make the chatter. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and the, the other thing I, I, I do want to, I do need to consider is the fact that my, the Venn diagram of the audience for my games and the people worried about every aspect of security and privacy doesn't have a very big overlap. Um, so probably, you know, earlier today I was panicking saying I must update all my games or they're ruined forever. Um, but in fact, that's probably not the case. I mean, you don't get an error message. You don't get a privacy warning with a big, you know, caution symbol. You just get a little message, you know, you get solitaire, it once or multiple times. solitaire read the clipboard right at the top. And it's just quick and it's, uh, it doesn't disrupt anything you're doing. It's just yep. a really quick thing at the very top. Now, if somebody were to see that and ask me, you know, as I said, I would have this frequently asked questions page. I would address it on there. And if I get an occasional email, I just throw them right over to it. Um, and then if somebody was really concerned and said, oh, I don't like this, I don't like his answer, if they deleted my app, it's, it's a game of numbers here. You know, if I lose a few people like that, right. um, it's not going to hurt the revenue that comes from these games. Does so this... I probably shouldn't worry so much about it. Even if it's not, I mean, it clearly it's not a security issue, even though it's, it's been um, um, implemented as a security feature. Mm -hmm. um, in your case, sure, it's not a security issue, but is it an experience issue? And I say that asking if this little message, does it come up once? Does it come up periodically? Is it in, does it, does it, you know, detract from the screen while you're playing the game? Yeah. Does it get no. in the way of any finger presses? I don't know. I saw it only when I launched the game. Okay. And it was there for like two seconds at the top as a small line of text. And then I looked around for a little bit. I didn't, you know, try different things, but it did not seem to reappear. So, okay. so yep. yeah. So I think yeah. I'm, I, think, I, mean, I right. think I might be okay. I mean, I, I don't think I'm, I'm going to have to kill any old apps that I don't right. get around to updating, but I will try to update at least my my biggest apps um the ones that you know i mean you know there's a there's that whole like uh God, what is that rule the 80 20 rule you know yes. what's that called the, pre, but, the Pareto yeah. principle okay the Pareto principle i mean i've got you know if i looked at it and said well i want to preserve my you know the money i make from apps um there's an app at the top <laughs> that makes you know 40 50 percent of all the revenue. Clearly I make sure that one's updated and good. Right. And then there's another one that's like 30%, another one that's like 20%. And then you know, after four or five apps, I'm well into the uh, mid nineties in terms of percentage of revenue. And then from there on, it's just basically my own kind of emotions as to whether or not I, I remove the apps. Cause business wise, it's like anything after that, just get rid of the app, right? That's what like, if I work for a corporation, they'd be like, what are you doing? Just delete that app. But some of those are sentimental and some of those have, you know, I don't know. I feel they have value and I feel it's like, well, one day maybe somebody will tweet about it and it'll <laughs> a huge thing. So I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, so I could cut, cut it off wherever I want. And those little apps, you know, if somebody wants to play this little game and it's got a little message at the top saying that the clipboard was looked at, well, you know, okay. Uh, you know, your, your other option is the game doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Right. Which so. if you walk away from the game, it doesn't exist anyway. Right. I mean, if, exactly. if the user walks away from the game, it doesn't exist for him anymore either. Anyway. Yeah. Like I said, as long as it's, it's just that one little 
quote unquote informative message at the beginning or something like that, I wouldn't worry about it. You're right. I think the, I think prioritizing the response here makes a tremendous yeah. amount of sense. And actually, I did take the initiative one year ago, uh, last July, to say I need to leave uh, Adobe Air because um, they did a whole thing where Adobe doesn't actually maintain this part of air anymore that makes ios apps it's another company um and uh i thought i need to get away and i just need to move to swift because um you know it's the modern language that apple uses and all of that mm -hmm. and i spent the month of july last year mainly learning swift i mean you know i have a computer science degree and i know so many languages i can't even count them so just, you know, figuring out what Swift was. It's not so much learning a new thing. It's like figuring out yes. what it is, figuring it out. And I started recreating one of my more complex uh, and bigger games, you know, at the upper end of that scale there um, in Swift from scratch. And I got actually pretty far uh, doing it. And I felt pretty confident that, you know, I've developed my last new game using Adobe Air. Um, sure. And anything new I develop will be in Swift. And it's just that, uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately, you know, Mac Mose is actually doing so well <laughs> as a thing right. um, that it takes up all my time and justifiably so. You know, I've got the Patreon campaign, I've got courses, uh, I've got the YouTube channel and everything is doing great. So really, I love spending time doing Mac Mose stuff and it seems to be, you know, um, make business sense to do so. So that doesn't leave any time for app development. So it's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's annoying to be forced into having to update my apps in some way, um, you know, uh, when it's like I really want to be spending all my time uh, developing more things for Mac most. I like it when, when doing what you enjoy happens to align with, quote unquote, it makes business sense, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It's still, but I don't want to abandon the, the app stuff of course, uh, you know, because they still make money and, um, you know, I still, I know that, I know that if I could take a month and just program and do app stuff, I would love that. But I would also, I also love doing the Mac most stuff. It's yeah, it's a tough situation to be in, uh, choosing between two things you love and you really can't do them both because they both take a lot of time. Right. I need right. a clone, <laughs> a clone of myself. To, uh, I think we've all said that at one point or another. <laughs> yeah. But then I'd probably argue with him, you know? No, yeah. I want to do that. No, I want to do that. Yeah. Well, maybe I just need a 48-hour day. There you go. I need to figure out how to, how to get that done. and then I it's, get... a, it's about as likely. So to, to switch gears ever so slightly, remain on the topic yeah. of security. I assume that uh, Apple has your phone number. Uh, well, yeah, sure as part of your um, Apple account. Uh, mm -hmm. And presumably that would be used in the case of account recovery or any of those kinds of situations. Yep. Um, does Google have your phone number? For me, probably, well, for me, definitely yes. Okay. But for nor the normal person who doesn't have, say, an AdSense account <laughs> or a Google Apps account, which they now cost something, but I'm grandfathered in. I'm sure you've got probably one of those laying around too. Um, for those kinds of things, I'm sure they have our phone numbers, but for a normal person, I don't know. So as it turns out, 
Uh, it used to be, uh, I don't know, was the right answer um, because it was optional, uh, certainly for Microsoft and for Google. Uh, for the longest time, you could create one of their free accounts without supplying a phone number. Um, as it turns out, that appears to no longer be the case. If you want to go out and create a new Gmail account or a new Microsoft account, uh, part of the process seems to be that you must confirm your, uh, your mobile phone number using, uh, or a phone number, uh, depending on the technologies. It may, so one of them may be voice, the other one may require SMS. The bottom line is that uh, a phone number of some sort seems to be required. I get these reports all the time, and the last time I went through a new account creation on one of my, uh, uh, for one of my example accounts, sure enough, uh, there was no option to skip giving a phone number. So, of course, as you can imagine, uh, that has the conspiracy crowd kind of concerned. I'll just say concerned. Um, it's, you know, the, the folks who are concerned that uh, Google and Microsoft and whoever else is tracking them are absolutely convinced that the only reason that it's asking for a phone number is so that they can track you better right? So that they can track mm. your, your mobile device to wherever you happen to be going and, you know, give you uh, localized ads for the store you just walked into uh, without having done anything else. So, um, of course, whether they do that or not, um, I suspect not. Honestly, I don't care. My strong belief is that um, they need the phone number for account recovery because, uh, you know, if you lose your account, uh, even if you lose your phone, it's easy to get your number ported to another phone. Uh, it's very, it's like the first thing you do after you find your, after you mm -hmm. discover your phone is gone and your SMS messages now go to the new phone automatically. In fact, there's no change needed to be made to the account you're dealing with. It all just works. Uh, now, granted, there's a downside to that and that's, you know, quote unquote, SIM swapping or whatever they, whatever they're currently calling uh, the, uh, the scenarios where, uh, hackers manage to convince the phone company to port your number to their device instead of your replacement device. But that's neither here nor there. As a, an account recovery mechanism, it's pretty darned good. And I believe that that's why it exists in the first place. I also believe that uh, Google and Microsoft and maybe others are starting to require it more because it prevents people, it prevents hackers or you know, less desirables from creating random accounts that they can then turn around and abuse. There's, in other words, there's a level of accountability associated with having a phone number that you can provide when you create your account. It's kind of like um, in the old days, for some sites to prove you were an adult, you had to provide a credit card number. The credit card number would never be charged, but it would at least have one authorization run on it to ensure that it was a valid credit card number because you could only have an actual credit card of your own uh, if you were over 18 or something silly like that. Mm -hmm. So all that is a long setup to the fact that there do remain various accounts, uh, various uh, email providers that actually don't require a phone number. And in fact, don't even require an alternate email address. Uh, the uh, the the one that um, you know, after after I tell people honestly, it you know they're not using your phone number to track you. Uh, trust me, they're already able to do more than that without your phone number. Um, I say you know there are a couple of actual scenarios where 
uh, not providing a phone number is in fact the uh, right thing to do, the, the sensible thing to do. And those two that I've been able to come up with at least are someone who actually honestly needs to remain anonymous, um, a whistleblower of some sort is the canonical example, but I'm sure that there are other valid reasons. And as it turns out, there are folks that don't have a phone or more specifically don't have a mobile phone. They, have the, they don't have the ability to receive an SMS text message, which is on one hand, it seems surprising in, this, in today's day and age. On the other hand, it's not that surprising because there are a lot of people who just don't need a mobile phone. They're happy with their landline or they're happy with whatever the service they, they have is. So they just don't have the option of not having. Uh, is, there any, uh, is there any way we can help those people? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so there are a couple of interesting scenarios. Um, by the way, this was all in an article I was working on this morning uh, that was complaining, you know, someone was complaining about the, uh, the fact that services require phone numbers. So there are, there are several email services that don't require uh, a phone number. The one I end up recommending to people is ProtonMail. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. Uh, they have been around for mm -hmm. a while. I've heard of them, yeah. They are based in Switzerland. They're basically a privacy-oriented uh, organization. They, uh, because they're in Switzerland, they claim you know, the Swiss privacy laws are really high. Um, they also support various forms of encrypted email not truly encrypted email, but rather if you want to encrypt something, they will automatically and transparently uh, post it on a page on their site that the, the recipient then has to provide a password to see. So the message is encrypted. It's just not delivered directly in email. Um, but they don't require any personal information, none whatsoever. You can completely randomly set up a ProtonMail account. And that's the, uh, the solution that uh, I have recommended for people that fall into those two legitimate scenarios and uh, for folks that uh, fall into the, um, I don't believe you, Google is trying to track me with my phone number scenario. Uh, as it turns out though, I've, in researching this over the past couple of days, uh, there are, uh, there's, Another set of services that kind of sort of surprised me, and they are what I would call temporary SMS services. So these are online services where you can basically say, hey, give me a phone number for a few minutes, would you? And you can have your SMS confirmation message sent to that phone number. This other service will tell you what the message was, so you can you know, provide the pin code or the confirmation code or whatever. And then the phone number just goes away, right? It gets, it's available for presumably for somebody else to come along and say, hey, give me a phone number for a few minutes. That one kind of surprised me. Uh, and it'll be interesting. I, what I don't understand or what I don't know is how good or whether services like Gmail or Microsoft's uh, Outlook.com uh, even try to prevent people from using these services if they have a known set of phone numbers, for example. But it just surprised me that such a thing exists, that people are so, so adamant about having an account that requires a phone number without actually having their own phone number. Uh, but then, you know, people are funny that way. It, mm. does, it does mean for any of these where you don't have any recovery information, if you ever lose your password, if you ever get your account hacked, you ain't getting it back because there's no way to prove you are who you are. But some people are apparently willing to, uh, to risk and live with that. Uh, 
what, um, what it reminds me of this, you know, people who are adamant about not having a phone number and they will jump through a, these all additional, these bizarre additional hoops to, uh, to provide a fake phone number is uh, uh, mandated periodic password changes. You know, the, the corporate level rules that often tell you, yep, you have to change your password every 90 days, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there are people who, and they remember the last like six or nine passwords that you've used. So you can't just set it back to your last password. Uh, what I have heard people will do is when their password expires, they will very carefully change their password 10 times so that they can change it back to the password that it was. Wow. People will jump through incredible hoops to get what they want. Uh, and uh, this is just another another interesting example of that. Anyway, I thought you'd be interested in in that. And and uh, Proton Mail is one of those things where it definitely serves some interesting niches. Um, I have a Proton Mail account myself. I never use it other than to make sure it's still working. But um, it's and there are I've, I actually pointed to somebody else's list of a bunch of other email services that provide uh, um, email. Uh, services that don't require a phone number. Uh, yeah, I'd be interested. I mean, so Proton Mail. Well, first of all, I'd be interested how that compares to having your own email on your own server. Uh, I assume they're doing some things proactively to keep it more private. Whereas if you have your own server, maybe you're not doing it, doing as much. However, yeah. it is your own server. I mean, so unless somebody has access to it, at least on the server end, there's you know no way for anybody to get to that information. So in some ways there's no way to be more secure or private than having your own server, which is not a hard thing to do. You go to a web host for dollars a month, you know, you can get a web host that offers email right. and you've got, you know, your own little email thing going on your own little web server. Um, which we both have, but it's just, you know, not just a few dollars a month. Um, yeah. We, Pro- yeah. Proton mail's free. At least there's a free tier which I think would support a lot of people. And it's got a very comfortable interface. I mean, it feels alike, like any webmail that you, right. you might use elsewhere. And the, uh, the, other, uh, the other thing I'd be curious about is how well their anti-spam works. Um, I was actually looking today, just because every once in a while, a couple times a year, I just look in my spam folder. I, I use Google's system for my email, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's my own domain name. And so they're doing all the spam filtering on the server and they have a fantastic system because so much email comes into Gmail that they could, first of all, you know, it's worthwhile for them to maintain a block list that's really good, right? So they know what the bad, the bad emails coming from these IP addresses and all of that. Right. The other thing they can do, of course, is if all of a sudden email comes from a location that it's never come from before and they want a million people to get this email, it's spam, right? Um, right. So, uh, and they and they don't do and they don't behave in a certain way because, as you and I know, there are certain things you could do with your email, like reverse DNS and things like that, to identify yourself and and be accountable for the email you're sending. So, if the email comes out and it doesn't do any of that, and it's not coming from any location where email really came from before, and suddenly there's a massive amount of it, uh, Google can basically say, "Nope, that's spam. That's not something as small." Uh, you, you can't do it with your own server because you're only getting email for you. Right. So you just get one piece of spam, not the million pieces of spam that Google sees. And if the provider is small enough, then they may not have those numbers and the systems capable of, of filtering out spam. So if I were to bring my 
email address, which has been the same email address I've used since 1996, mm-hmm. um, over to Proton Mail. I know what the spam is that comes into it because I can look in uh, Google's junk folder right, right. and see it. I'm wondering how much of that would get filtered out by Proton Mail. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I have I have no idea how good their yeah. spam filter is. I think one of the other advantages that a system like Gmail and I wish Microsoft's would do this because they've got the same um, same situation, but they're just not as good. What Gmail has going for it is the massive quantity of email and the massive number of people that are probably all marking the same email as, as spam. That's data, right? That allows them to mm-hmm. do more than just look at the headers. They're looking at the content and they're doing, I'm sure, incredible statistical analysis of the content of the kinds of mails that people mark as spam versus the people, you know, versus those that don't. Um, so they can just do all sorts of things that you're right. As someone with a much more limited database simply can't do. Mm, yep. But yep. Yeah. I don't know what their spam filters like. Um, I have to say I haven't seen any, but like I said, I only log into it periodically, uh, to, uh, uh, to make sure it's still working because it is a convenient little thing to have. And, uh, my email address there hasn't yet been made public, um, although the article that I was talking about uh, that I'm writing actually does include the email address in an image. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens if I suddenly start getting spam after that article gets published in a couple of weeks. We'll know that. Hey, at least they worked for it. You know, they had to see it and type it in and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you, you owe it to them to read whatever it is they're sending you. No, not just read. Buy. 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 Yes, click, buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Well, another uh, useful technique that, you know, Google can do is, you know, honeypots. You know, the idea that there are probably tons of fake email addresses out there that don't belong to anybody that Google and other big providers set up. And if you're a spammer, you probably have a few of those in your list. And if that email goes to a honeypot, which should get nothing but spam, because it's you know it doesn't have a real person associated with it. It's never asked to be signed up for anything legitimately. Um, Then they can go and say, oh, you know, whatever goes into our honeypots, those, all, you know, also are filtered out of everybody else's inboxes. And uh, that's a really useful way yep. to do it. So you only look at your spam once a year, twice a year? Uh, yeah, maybe two or three times. And yeah. actually, I, because we have a colleague that did mention uh, that she noticed a lot of legitimate email going to, into her spam folder right. recently. And that's what prompted me to think about it. And I was happy to see that even though I looked back, you know, and, and my eyes might have, I might have been tearing or my eyes were bleeding or something right, after right. looking through <laughs> about three or four weeks worth of spam email, I saw only spam. It was 100% spam. I did not find one legitimate thing. It's weird. So Gmail only keeps the last 30 days worth. The rest just falls off the planet. Uh, I do periodically. In fact, I I probably look at the spam folder, glance at the spam folder uh, daily. And Mm. it's like maybe once a week or so, I will find something that, yeah, that should have gone to the inbox. Uh, and of course we all have scenarios where occasionally like maybe once a day or once every other day, there's something in the inbox that should have gone to spam. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, um, um, I do that. It's just, it's just easier for me to, to consume it in, in shorter, in smaller chunks like that. And like I said, there is the occasional false positive that I sometimes rescue. Fortunately, so far the false positives have all been unimportant, right? They're all, 
uh, maybe a newsletter that uh, you know happened to use the wrong word in the wrong place. Um, there are a couple of very consistent attempts to go to spam filter. By that I mean uh, certain services have notifications that Gmail always, always sends to spam even though it's not. Uh, so I actually have some rules set up to explicitly prevent that. And when you have that happen, Gmail will tell you at the top of the message, this message was not sent to spam because of a rule you set up. Uh, so it wanted to, it thinks it's spam, it really does. But uh, it says, okay, you asked for it. <laughs> and here it is. And you know that also works fine. So that's one of the other things that's kind of useful to, to browse through spam every once in a while. But like you, it's a very quick scan. Um, I'm certainly not spending oodles of time. It's just a matter of my eye will sometimes land on an email address or a name that I, re that I recognize and um, uh, will jump on. Which actually, that's actually a great um, jumping off point to something that I don't have in our notes, but did come up this week. Uh, LastPass on their blog has warned people that there is an ongoing phishing attempt to uh, con to uh, basically capture people's last pass credentials. Uh, on one hand, this should, shouldn't be anything new uh, because these kinds of phishing attempts are happening all the time. Mm -hmm. But apparently it's specifically targeting last pass users and apparently it looks pretty good, uh, which is something that, uh, you know, so much of the spam we get is just obviously spam. It's very easy to dismiss out of hand. But when it starts to look good and it starts to look like it could possibly maybe be legitimate, um, then it's one of those things where uh, you, know, you really, really want to raise the dial on the skeptic meter because you really want to pay attention to whether or not you're about to click on something that's going to take you somewhere uh, malicious. So I just wanted to, to throw that out there for our listeners because it's one of those things that just this weekend, I think it was popped on their blog and is something that's worth, um, always worth being skeptical of and taking note of. Mm, indeed. So. Uh, onward. Yeah, onward. I, I suspect that you spent some time at Walmart recently. <laughs> I have not. Um, no. But, but oh. I, men I mentioned Walmart uh, so let me back up. As you can imagine from where I live and the kind of a guy I am, um, I'm all in on Amazon. I am an Amazon fanboy in the sense that, uh, you know, I, I use a, a number of their services. I've been an Amazon prime member forever. Um, you know, our, our go-to whenever we're looking for something, um, is amazon.com. And the buy now button is my friend and my worst enemy. Uh, I have more stuff than I should have because I can hit buy now. That being said, in recent weeks, uh, for whatever reason, I think it was something I was looking for was out of stock at Amazon. And uh, it seems like you know, cereal of all things. And I decided, you know what? We've occasionally gotten things at Walmart. I should go see what their experience is like. And not only was I pleasantly surprised uh, they, ha they had what I needed, what I was looking for in stock, uh, it was cheaper. And uh, the free shipping, you know, free two-day shipping, I think it is, uh, with a minimum order. Uh, the bottom line is that my wife and I are actually going to be looking periodically at Walmart at a minimum to do some price comparisons. Uh, 
because it's very easy to pay more than you need to uh, if you just assume that the best prices are always on Amazon. Sometimes mm -hmm. they are, but not uncommon for them not to be. And, uh, you know, sometimes what you're looking for is just easier and cheaper to get over at walmart.com. And they have been explicitly targeting Amazon as a competitor. They've beefed up their warehousing. They've beefed up their infrastructure, their shipping. Um, and as it turns out, uh, they are apparently coming up with their own version of Amazon Prime. Don't know what it's going to entail yet, but uh, for some kind of an annual fee, you will get some kind of, of um, you know, stuff from from Walmart, whatever that stuff may be. Maybe it's you know free you know free shipping on everything. Maybe it's something else. But the bottom line is that they are going head to head with Amazon, and honestly, it's been a good experience doing some shopping on Walmart. I'll probably do more of it there. As an Amazon fanboy, I actually appreciate this much like I uh, you know appreciated uh, competition from others when I was working at Microsoft because it will force Amazon to get better. Competition is a good thing, and uh, to have them uh, have to compete a little bit now that they're the currently the big behemoth in the marketplace is not a bad thing at all. And uh, so, Walmart. The other one we were we've been playing with occasionally is Target. Uh, I realize for our international listeners that you know, sorry, this doesn't really help you at all. But uh, uh, you know, Walmart and Target are two very large uh, department store style retailers here in the United States. And uh, they are both uh, targeting, they both have Amazon in their sites. So just thought I'd share that with folks. It was, it was a good experience. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll continue with my streak of just mentioning TV shows. You were actually <laughs> the one who, who told me about this originally. I forget if it was on air or not. It was. We it talked was. About it. I think it was just last week. So I was okay. surprised to see that you went through it that quickly. <laughs> uh, well, it was, it was good. Warrior Nun <laughs> on Netflix uh, was uh, very good. Uh, very easy to get into, and uh, you pass a point in the season, or at least I passed a point in the season where I simply had to uh, had to go and know what happened. So there was no stopping me um, to, until the end of the uh, end of the season. So so yeah, excellent uh, show. Um, you know, uh, hopefully there will be season two. Boy, I wonder how long some of these new shows, like The Witcher and you know this Warrior Nun and a bunch of right. things. It's like. Upload is another one that, you know, first seasons, it's like, well, they couldn't have started making the second season before the pandemic hit. Right. And I'm sure they're not making it now. So how long are we going to wait? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot Maybe. of wait, pandemic related waiting going on. A yes. lot of uncertainty. And that's true for the big screen as well. Uh, I was watching, I saw a, a brief article about Wonder Woman 1984 uh, mm. that it was supposed to be released last month originally. And now they're pushing it off. And as it turns out, the the uh, the young adult novelization has come out, and so you can actually read the story before you watch the movie for a change, <laughs> well, um, and experience a few of the spoilers and that kind of thing. But, and we also have the the new Ghost. So I think July Fourth weekend was pretty much supposed to be what Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four and Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters movie, mm -hmm. and both of those have just quietly backed away. Yep. And disappeared, yeah. including their marketing campaigns, which they were in the middle of. Um, and uh, everything's just backed off. And they're yeah. scheduled tentatively for next year. Um, so another, uh, I think it's a Netflix show. I don't remember now. Uh, that falls into the same category as Witcher. Did you watch mm -hmm. that one? 
Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, same thing. It's 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 a, a great first season. I really hope they they uh, they have a second season. I can't wait, and it's going to be a while longer than than they uh, than they planned, just because of everything going on. So, so the bad news is that we have to wait, but the good news is, boy, there's a lot of good stuff that will hopefully arrive. Yeah, hopefully, you know, the characters are all going to mysteriously age uh, a year or so, you know, from the, you know, the cliffhanger at the end of one season to the, to the next. But, um, but yeah, the network TV is going to start. I mean, you know, it would normally be coming up soon, but I, I don't know. I, I, I'd be surprised if there aren't some very creative people already coming up with ideas for shows that can be done with more social distance restrictions. Um, right things like that. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to see what, given the restrictions, I'd love to see some creative people really be told, you know, go to, go to the likes of JJ Abrams and, you know, people like that and say, okay, we need 22 episodes of something and you have to make it with, you know, all these restrictions in place. You have and to just, use zoom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to do it. Like, you know, the act, no, none of the actors can be on site, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and certainly there have been solutions for single episodes. Several shows have come out with single episodes, but if you had actually come up with a new show from the ground up um, and you know, you could, would you make it about the current times? So people were at home or would you come up with a concept that had nothing to do with what's, what current events are going on, but could be made completely, uh, you know, by actors at home. Could you just create these green screen and HD sets that you ship to right. actors, right. right? And set them up or, or, you know, have these trailers that you park in front of actors' houses and has everything they need in them. And they get in and it's all automated and remote controlled. And the actor does their part in front of a green screen. And then it's melded together. I saw a music video the other day done where it tried to make it look like all the musicians were playing together, but they were actually, actually each recorded individually uh, in front of a green screen. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so I wonder if there's a, a scarier scenario for the actors um, and that is CGI. Uh, yeah. You know, we're getting, we're getting close. We're getting really close to being able to replicate just about anybody in CGI and that could render their physical presence, um, unnecessary right um, right and so that's a that's a scarier scenario i think we're not close enough i think it still has the visible difference but uh but i could be wrong it could it yeah it, it could still work i mean people have been doing that with video games for you know a while more than a decade yes but you know that it's a video game. Yeah. but that's what i'm saying it could work as long as you you know you just you didn't try to pass it off you know, right. he said, "Hey, we're this is this is an animated series, but yeah, it's a you know, very photorealistic animated series." Maybe have everybody do voiceover from home or something like that. Oh yeah, certainly. Yeah, voiceover can be done. Although I have noticed a couple of commercials um, recently. You know, if you if you pay close attention to newer commercials, they usually don't have actors in them anymore. There's a lot of footage of the car running, you know, running right. around or whatever, and there's a voiceover and everything. And and there were commercials like that before, so they're not out of place. There's right. just more of them now. And some of the commercials, like on prime time regular television, could actually do with our friend David Lawrence's, you know, <laughs> advice on how to record <laughs> audio in your home. Because I'm like, 
I could clearly hear that that's somebody sitting in like their closet, right. you know, with a decent mic and a computer. You know, it's 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 just not the same quality you expect when you're seeing this car commercial or whatever it is. Right. Um, so yeah, interesting. We need to get Matthew McConaughey a better microphone. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I think that's well. Let's see. Um, so what I want to send people to today, yeah is um, an article I wrote, gosh, a long time ago. I updated it recently. How do you delete things from the internet? Uh, it's one of those classical conundrums. Uh, you know, if you delete something, you can't get it back. And yet, uh, if you put something on the internet, you can never actually make it go away. Just ask Barbara Streisand, right? She asked for her the photo of her home to be deleted, and that resulted in everybody making a gazillion copies of it. Uh, and it's now actually part of the official Wikipedia entry for the Streisand effect. <clears throat> mm. So how do you delete things from the internet? Askleo.com slash 27274. Uh, it'll make you think twice about posting anything anywhere. Yeah, well, speaking of taking pictures, um, Ooh, nice. so I've got, I've got a new, I, I will, by the time most people hear this, have a new course out, my first one in a while. Um, it will actually be up this week on Thursday. Um, and it is a course on iPhone photography. Um, it's unusual in that I'm not the one teaching it. Um, it's my good friend uh, and longtime, uh, you know, collaborator Jay Schaefer, who uh, actually started MacMos with me way back in the day. Um, and uh, I, I've been wanting for years to create a course on iPhone photography, but I'm not a photographer, and it just I just didn't know enough to really teach like how to take good pictures. Um, but he is, and he's actually taught in uh, college level photography before. So it took me this long to realize, wait a minute, I should get him to do the course. Um, so he, uh, took an outline that I created and created an iPhone photography course. And, um, I'll be launching it on Thursday this week. You get a, um, there's a 20% coupon in my email newsletter that will be included with the announcement. So Actually, no, I take it back 40%. So we have 40% coupon. There's 20% normal coupon that newsletter subscribers get, but 40% will be the announcement, the launch coupon for the, you know, a certain number of days after the launch. So if you're not already a subscriber to my newsletter, go to macmost.com, subscribe to that before Thursday, and you'll get uh, that coupon. And I'll probably have the coupon in two consecutive weeks. So if you're hearing this after Thursday, the next Thursday will probably also include that coupon too. So sign up anyway. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, it's an e-course, you know, just have to take, uh, how to make better pictures with your iPhone goes through all the technical details of using the app, you know, all the little things you can do, but then also basic photography concepts, you know, rule of thirds and framing and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so if you walk around and enjoy taking pictures with your iPhone and want to up your game and take better pictures, um, you know, there's even, uh, videos on like taking pictures for eBay and Etsy, taking like headshots for like profile pictures for social media or oh, for, excellent. you know, LinkedIn and things like that. So uh, situational things like that too. So really excited about that, about this course. So it sounds really interesting. I want the Android version, of course, but you know, well, you know, the stuff, the stuff that has to do with general photography, you Understood. probably already know it because I know you're much more experienced than me with photography than, um, but you know, for a lot of people, you know, they could just uh, yeah. go with that stuff. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the videos that do with the, you know, press this button to go to panorama mode, you know, wouldn't, 
it would be a different right. button on Android. Exactly. It's a different button or a sequence of buttons, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that one. I hope it does well. I think that pretty much wraps us up for this week. Yep. The show notes are at tehpodcast.com slash teh107. If you've got a comment or a question, you know to find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast, or of course, just leave a comment on that show notes page. We do read them all. We had a flurry of them this week and we were sharing them with one another. Thanks as always for listening and we will see you here again next week. Bye-bye. Bye.